Welcome to Smart Poker Study, the podcast dedicated to helping you play more effectively, earn more money, and be 1% better every day. I'm your host, Sky Matsuhashi. In last week's episode number 252, I discussed the five best lessons we learn by paying attention to showdowns. It's poker study time, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me. Episode 253 of the Smart Poker Study Podcast. My name is Sky, and if it's your first time here, muchas gracias for stopping by. Make sure you subscribe in your favorite podcatcher because I have incredible poker strategy episodes dropping every single week. Sometimes they're Q&A episodes like this one this week. This is the place for growing your poker skills with practical tips, advice, and action steps because... Action is the greatest teacher. And for you repeat visitors, you longtime listeners, thank you so much for coming back and for sharing the show with a friend of yours. Alrighty, today I'm answering five questions, and two of them deal with tournament play. One is about data mining. Two more are about calling pre and calling post-flop. But before we get to that Q&A goodness, I want to take this opportunity to let you know that the Smart Poker Study podcast is brought to you by The Poker Forge, my new membership site. It's called The Poker Forge because just like a blacksmith takes a raw piece of metal and through hard work, he forms it into something useful and beautiful, that's what we're doing. Through focused effort both on and off the felt, Poker Forge members are forming themselves into the beautifully winning players they want to be. Members get access to a growing library of strategy videos and resources that cover everything you need to become a winning poker player. On top of that, you also get regular live Q&A sessions, weekly poker quizzes, discounts and perks, plus access to our active member community. So if you're serious about becoming a better poker player, thepokerforge.com is the place to be. It's a no-brainer. It's like pocket aces, baby. Head on over to thepokerforge.com to check it out and join today. Alrighty, it's question and answer time. Please visit the show notes page for everything I discussed today at www.smartpokerstudy.com slash pod253. And when you go there, you can sign up for the weekly boost for exclusive poker strategy direct to that inbox. Let's do this. Gambate! And now for our feature presentation. Here's question number one about fighting those loose aggressive tournament players. It's from Thomas Evolve, and you can actually find him on Instagram at Thomas Evolve. Kind of a very healthy guy, lots of uh, exercise stuff, as well as some beautiful food that he's cooking up for himself. So here's his question. I do have a question about tournaments, which I play. Kind of a classic question, probably. I'm sure you've covered this somewhere in your content, but what is your strategy against overly loose aggressive players? All right, thank you for the question, Thomas. In general, I try to use their aggression against them. You want to play in position and be willing to call down with weak top pair hands and even second pair good kicker type hands. Some of those lags, they are overly aggressive post-flop, so let them aggress against your showdown-worthy hand and just spew chips your way. Sometimes they're going to have the goods, but you can often get a clue that you're beat uh, by their bet sizing or maybe timing tells or how well their range connects with the board. And because you're playing tournaments, most of the loose aggressive play that you you, you face is going to be pre-flop. So when a, one of those loose aggressive players comes at you with two bets or three bets, put them on a range. That's the very first thing. 
if your hand is strong against their range. Let's say you're holding ace-jack, and in their range, they have every single ace, king-10 or better, queen-10 or better, other suited connectors, that kind of stuff, then you don't want to play passively, but get aggressive right back at them. If they're willing to call with weaker hands, like your ace-jack, of course, it beats hands that they can call, like ace-5, ace-8, king-queen, 7-6 suited. That's actually good for you when they call. But if they actually fold a lot versus your re-raises, that's good as well. You're earning those chips. And speaking of getting them to fold, if you want them to fold, if you're making a bluff bet or a bluff raise, make sure they can fold. You have to look at their stack size in relation to the pot. If the pot is already so big and their stack is so small that they would feel committed by your estimation, then don't bluff but value bet big instead. And remember, the ultimate maxim, when they aren't folding, we ain't bluffing. All right, question number two, another tournament question. This one's about chopping a local weekly tournament, and it's from Ronnie Loveday. He says, howdy, Sky. I've been listening through your podcast library, and I'm really enjoying it. Thanks for the poker strategy boost. I've been playing in a weekly $1,500 guaranteed tournament at a local card house for the past few months. Last week, I made it to the, to the top three with payouts being 200, 400, and 800. These guys were very nice regulars who I've developed a rapport with. One skilled and the other a self-proclaimed gambler. My stack was around three times their stack size, and the house reminded us we could chop at any time. They both said they would agree to it and deferred to the big stack without trying to push me to accept. I suggested that we each take $400 and play for the last 200 since I really want some shorthanded experience. I ended up taking it down, but can't help but feel like all I did was give third place $200, who literally the very next hand busted against me. The final payouts match pretty close to ICM, which we didn't actively use. The golden rule of ethics dictates I did the right thing, but my question to you is, is it more important to keep the friendly nature of a live game going at the effective cost of a couple buy-ins? Or is it more important to go for blood, look out for your bankroll, and hope the other players take it in stride? Thanks again for everything you do, and you'll be seeing my winnings go towards one of your books in the near future. All right, thank you so much for the question, Ronnie. Now, my answer, it's going to run counter to all of you tournament purists and you tournament profiteers out there. But I think you did the absolute right thing here, Ronnie. When chopping a local tournament, it probably hurts you to be cutthroat and to try to go for every last penny of equity possible. You hit the nail on the head when you said that you've developed a rapport with them. Because you see them all the time, you want to keep that rapport going. And fighting for every scrap of EV makes zero sense to me when you're going to be seeing these guys week in and week out. But if you go to the WSOP and you get three-way for the main event or maybe a $1,500 tournament for a bracelet, right? Then you've got to go for max value because they're doing the exact same thing. And your reputation or developing a rapport or just the feel-good feelings between competitors, that doesn't really matter in this situation. So you did the right thing, Ronnie, and I'm totally happy to hear it. Now, I like that you went for that shorthanded experience as well. But if you wanted to end it right there, but squeak out a little extra value, you could have said something like, we can chop if you each give me $75 or something along those lines, right? Because you were the chip stack, you can make a little uh, kind of a selfish demand upon them. But they would accept it and they would understand that because they would do the exact same thing if they were the big stack. 
Alrighty, question three is about data mining. This question is from, I'll just give the initials, DW to protect the innocent. This is what DW said. Hi there, thanks for you, your tutorials and podcast. I just started using a HUD, but from what I understand and can find on the web, you only have data for the hands you've played. Are there ways to import more hands or get more data elsewhere about the players in my HUD? Well, thank you very much, DW. So what you're asking about is called data mining, and that's getting hands from other sources. The poker sites don't allow this as it gives an unfair advantage. Theoretically, more hands would be better, but we're only allowed to use the hands that we accumulate as we play. But the good news is the more hands you play, the quicker your opponent's stats will accumulate, and you'll be able to understand their frequencies very quickly. Also, speaking of quick, some of those stats like VPIP, PFR, 3-bet, C-bet, and fold to C-bet, those accumulate super quickly. So even at 100 hands, you have a general understanding of their player style, and that's enough to begin exploiting them. And ultimately, I want to end with this. Don't buy data mined hands. Just develop your own database through more time on the felt. After the break, I'll hit you with two questions about calling. Alrighty, a few shout outs today. Poker Tracker 4, again, is still selling like hotcakes. This program is amazing. I'm using it day in and day out for my own studies, for my students to go through their databases using the HUD. All that jazz, Poker Tracker 4 is it. And Nick Chavez, Matt Ahern, and Trevor Blair all purchased Poker Tracker 4 through my affiliate link. They went to smartpokerstudy.com slash pokertracker4. That's one word with the number four at the end. By doing that, they made their purchase of Poker Tracker 4 at whichever level that they want, and no additional cost, they helped to support the show through that purchase. And to thank them for their support, I sent them my smart HUD for Poker Tracker 4 right away. And speaking of that smart HUD for Poker Tracker 4, Kong Lee, Johan Rickling, Paul Kennedy, and Luke Morrison all purchased that directly. Of course, they already had Poker Tracker 4, but they were missing the best HUD in the market. Now they've got the goods, they have the HUD that's going to allow them or to help them exploit their opponents much more than they ever have in the past. They went to smartpokerstudy.com slash smarthud. They looked at the screenshots, read the details of the HUD, and they decided, yes, it's the HUD for me. So once again, if you want to purchase the Smart HUD, like Kong, Johan, Paul, and Luke, go to smartpokerstudy.com slash smarthud. And two more final shoutouts. I stopped doing the monthly webinars. At least for now I did. But recently, Vince from Denver purchased the Playing to Learn Micro Stakes uh, webinar. And Kabaruk purchased the Finding and Plugging Leaks with Poker Tracker 4 webinar. If you want a little $5 off, you can go to the show notes for this page, find the links down there, and make this exact same purchase. Thank you very much, Vince and Kabaruk. Alrighty, back to class, poker peeps. So, question four is about calling preflop with kings and aces. This question comes to us from Anand Singh. Here it is. I am a new player and have just started learning through your books. Is it necessary that we should always start with three or four betting with good hands? Actually, even pocket aces get sometimes outdrawn by showdown. So would it not be good to just limp with good hands and raise after the flop or just call three bets and first see the flop? 
then decide to raise according to the table dynamics and other factors? All right, well, really good question, Anand. Thank you very much. And my answer is no, do not limp or just call with these hands. It's important to start playing the best pocket pairs like kings and aces for a raise or a re-raise at every opportunity pre-flop. Of course, things change when you get to the flop, like you said, and maybe the raising isn't the best play. Maybe calling or folding could be the best now, but you have to base that on the board and your opponent and everything. But aggression is important in poker, and playing these hands aggressively will give you a better money-making opportunity than calling or limping with them. Calling with these big hands are a symptom of either fancy play syndrome or maybe a sign of a passive and weak player. If you begin poker by playing these hands passively, then you'll develop a bad habit of passive play and it'll be harder to break later on. I want you to start developing a habit of aggressive play as soon as possible. Think about what happens when you just call or limp with pocket aces. You have now sweetened the pot for all the other passive players to limp behind or overcall, and this just leads to multi-way pots. And in a multi-way pot, great, you have aces and you're a favorite, right? But against three other players or four or five other players, you have a ton of landmines to dodge post-flop, and that makes it more likely somebody's going to hit two pair or better and crack your pocket aces. Also, one of the ways you earn money in poker is to exploit players who call too often pre-flop. If the weakest opponents will call your raises and re-raises when you have pocket kings or aces, they're theoretically making bigger mistakes pre-flop. Help them make mistakes by betting and raising big with these strong hands. Don't give them what they want, a cheap flop. All right, question number five is once again about some passive play. Miko Montila sent me uh, a little response to a question. I said, what do you need help with right now? Miko said, I am calling too much instead of raising or folding. All right, here's my answer, Miko. Yeah, playing too passively, it's a problem for too many players. Some people treat calling as a default play when they don't know what to do, or they just don't want to believe their opponent has a good hand and they don't want to be bluffed. To help you with this problem, over your next five play sessions, and actually what I'm about to say is an action step for everybody listening to take. Over your next five play sessions, before every click of that call button, complete this sentence. Calling in this spot is a profitable play because blank. Now, you don't have to be able to come up with a mathematically sound reason or an infallible argument. You just have to complete the sentence with any logical answer before you click call. Now, here are some good examples. Calling in this spot is a profitable play because they're opening with every ace and every king, and my ace-jack offsuit is ahead of this range. Or another good example. I have a draw with 15 outs, and the price is right to call to catch it. Another example. I know they're honest on the next street, so I'll call with the intent to bluff bet on the next street when they check. And another final good example of completing this sentence, calling in this spot is a profitable play because I'm calling with my two-pair hand when there is three to the straight and three to the flush on the board. And I could easily be beat, but I have very good showdown value and I know they're capable of bluffing. Now here's some bad calling examples. Calling in this spot is a profitable play because, dang it, I just can't fold my aces. Or another bad example, calling in this spot is a profitable play because, uh, I don't know, I just don't want to fold my big blind. Another bad example, I'm not sure what to do, so I call? And the final bad example, it's a full pot-sized bet, so it's not a mathematically good call. But it's a nut flush draw! I gotta call! 
So if you can voice a logical reason for calling, then your calling decisions are going to improve. If there's no good reason, just fold instead. And it's important, Miko, to remember that when you face a bet, you also have the option to raise. You would raise to bluff them off their hand or to gain additional value when they could be value betting weaker hands. Before you raise, ask and answer this question. How will they respond to my raise? If you reasonably expect them to fold most of the time to your bluff raise, make the bluff. If they can call or re-raise with worse hands, make the value raise. Alrighty, that's it for this Q&A, people. Make sure you head on over to smartpokerstudy.com slash pod253 for the show notes and related links for this week's episode. Thanks, as always, for listening, and I will be back next week with a brand new strategy episode. If you enjoyed today's, I invite you to check out thepokerforge.com. This is the essential resource for any poker player at any stage of the game, especially if you want to become a profit earner in this game that we all love. We have a growing video library, guided action steps, quizzes, live monthly Q&As, exclusive member-only discounts, perks and resources, along with a supportive and active poker community. The Poker Forge is the perfect place for you to up your game. So check out thepokerforge.com. And great news! My new Alexa skill, which is called Daily Poker Tips, it's now available for all English Alexa users in the United States, Canada, the United Kingdom, Australia, and India. Just go to the Alexa store and search for Daily Poker Tips. You'll get a 30-second poker tip every day during your flash briefing. Well, until next time, study smart, play much, and make your next session the best one yet.